We have one verse today that we're looking at, Matthew 6, 11, and we'll go right from there into the Heidelberg Catechism, the fourth petition. Matthew 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread. What is the fourth petition? We say together, give us this day our daily bread. That is, be pleased to provide for all our bodily need so that we may thereby acknowledge that you are the only fountain of all good and that without your blessing, neither our care and labor nor your gifts can profit us, that we may therefore withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it in you alone. Amen. It was 21 years ago today, September 11, 2001, hijackers captured Flight 93. Todd Beamer you may remember that name, was able to access the phone on the airplane. He called the operator for GTE to let her know what was happening aboard the flight. Eventually, Todd said, we have hatched a plan. He paused. He said to the operator, will you do one last thing for me? Yes, the operator said. What would you like? Would you pray with me? And so just before Todd Beamer and the others made their attempt to save Flight 93, just before the flight went down, they prayed, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. David Strain says there's great value in this in the regular recitation of the Lord's Prayer. Over time, it becomes like a spiritual memory muscle. Its rhythms become a part of us. And yet, at the same time, there's a danger that familiarity can breed contempt. It shouldn't, but it often does. So, David Paulison says, why do you pray? Isn't that a good question to ask? Why? When we're honest, we say we pray to commune with God. Because we need to pray. If we don't, we perish. When we pray, we live with the fundamental reality of humility before God and each other. That only God can meet the needs that we have and that we connect in prayer the promises of God with the life that we're living. The Psalms do this. Paulison brings this out. Have you noticed that Psalms 1 through 90 are mainly minor key, meaning they're focused a lot on sorrow and heartache and guilt and suffering, and that's a part of our life. Psalms 91 to 150, as you read them and as you sing them, as as you pray them, are primarily what he calls major key. What we see there is joy and gratitude. Boldness, radiant confidence in Jesus. And in our life, we have both reason for joy and heartache, sometimes in the same day. We see these aspects in the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. In particular now, as we move into what it is that we're asking God to provide. Fulfill your promises to us, O God. 
today. Give us our daily bread first. This means we are dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The petition begins with the word give. Kids, it can easily be a part of our heart and the words that come out that we use the word give to demand something. Give me a Snickers bar. Give me that toy at Target. Is that what's happening here? No, because do you remember the flow of the Lord's Prayer? We begin with God. We have been focused on God's kingdom and God's glory and God's will. And now, out of humility and boldness in Christ, we say, Father, give what you have promised. Do what you have said you will do for your people. Our culture talks about entitlements, which is not good for a society. It's pride and arrogance. But we ask God to give. What do we need? Well, we need wisdom. We need courage. We need faith to trust in the Lord. And in this particular petition, we need daily provision. That's what daily bread's about. It's not just about the bread you had for breakfast, kids, and the toast that you ate. Everything we need to live is referred to here. Food and water. Clothes and shelter, a place to live. Friends and family and relationships. It includes your work, your calling. Kids, focus on the test that you have to take for your school. It includes the stability of our country and its economy, our safety, our health. All of these things are what the prayer is getting at here. God cares about these details of your life, loved ones. We're dependent on him for all of them. Anybody a Jimmy Stewart fan? Old movie Shenandoah? Jimmy Stewart eats a meal with his children after his wife has died. He prays. Dear Lord, thank you for this meal. We plowed the ground. We planted the seed. We pulled the weeds, we harvested the wheat, we ground the flour, we baked the bread, but thank you, Lord, for this meal. That's the opposite of this. Sin blinds us. We think that we're in charge. We think that we're self-ruling. We think we can take care of all of our needs. We think we don't need God to get our bread. That's just arrogance. What do we have that we did not receive, Paul says. Think about food. There's a lot to this prayer, but do you realize the Bible speaks a lot about food? Think of how much time we spend eating, how much time we spend preparing, and how much time maybe we spend thinking about our next meal. Did you see the story in the paper the other day? A guy who went to the state fair every day of the fair 12 days, and he ate pretty much all the foods you could eat. Our culture sends us different messages about food. On the one hand, you see advertisers say, consume and be gluttonous. On the other hand, they tell you, you got to get rid of those foods that make you sick and eat these particular foods, and then you'll be doing what we want you to do. Do you notice the messages are coming at us both ways? What about God and food? 
Before the fall at creation, God gave Adam every seed-bearing plant and fruit tree to eat. In God's original design, one man writes, appetites and needs matched perfectly. As a result of the fall, now we have to eat by the sweat of the brow. God still provides food. And he often feeds the world indirectly through what he has made, right? Through the seasons and the plants and the sun. He upholds all of it. He has the capacity to prosper a nation's harvest or to withhold his hand. Sometimes people can't feed themselves. And the Bible speaks of the importance of us coming to their aid. Friends and neighbors, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Sometimes in the Bible, God provides food directly. Do you remember, kids, the manna that he provided from heaven? He fed Israel in the desert. Now, they got sick of it. They grumbled. That, what should have been a two-week journey, ended up being 40 years. So it's like eating reheated macaroni and cheese every day for 40 years. And then the meat came, and they took more than they needed, and the meat was sticking in their mouth, and... There was a judgment of God. Grumbling is not a minor thing. God also fed Elijah, the prophet, with the ravens. Food is simple in a way, this person writes. We should eat to live. But sometimes we live to eat. We flip it around. Why? Because our hearts are idol factories. And when we lose contact with the Lord, we put other things in his place, including food. How does food become an idol? Sometimes we eat to find peace. We eat to try to fix our problems, to overcome anger or depression or loneliness or boredom. We eat comfort foods to get comfortable, Food can become the source of joy and meaning in our lives. A person writes, if you put a plate of cookies out after lunch, I'm tormented. I'm not hungry. I don't need a cookie. But the thought of someone else eating that cookie just gnaws at me. I'm afraid if I don't grab it, I'm going to lose it, so I go and I eat it. And you see what she's saying there? She's talking about our desires. We're tormented by what we desire. But we know we don't need it and should not take it. The story is the same with any idol of our heart. A good thing, food. A good thing, sex in marriage. A good thing, material possessions. Sports. It can become an all-consuming thing because we, we live for it. We love it more than God. We're obsessed with it. How did Jesus treat food? Do you remember that? They called him a glutton and a drunkard. Jesus ate good meals with prosperous people and enjoyed the good gift of God and food. But Jesus also fed the hungry. 5,000 men, maybe up to 20,000 total, men, women, and children, he fed them. On another occasion, 4,000. Jesus enjoyed food. Food was not an idol for him. And it is in Christ that we begin to see how we should view this good gift of God 
in God's providence, we not only have food on the table because the sun or the hail or the rain could burn it or freeze it or destroy the crop, but we also have food on the plate. But as the psalmist said, what use is food on the plate if you don't have an appetite to eat it? Some of us know from sickness that we have, or maybe ongoing affliction, or allergies, or challenges with certain foods, how hard it can be. And sometimes we we can hardly know what we can eat. In our stomach, even if food is there, it will be no use uh, to us if it makes us sick, Job 20. The point is, we depend on God for every part of this, from the food that is in the field to the food that's being digested in our stomach that we might have energy to love and serve the Lord. This prayer reminds us there's nothing too big or small to ask of God as well. When we think about daily provision beyond food, all the different things we've talked about, health, job, relationships, go to God specifically, loved ones. Sometimes we can be like the kid that has the alphabet blocks. Someone uses this analogy. And we just dump the blocks on the floor and we say, okay, God, help. But God wants you to be specific. Praying for that person with that need. That means as we connect with each other and love each other and pray through the church directory and have a fellowship meal together, we grow in love for each other and for how we pray specifically for one another. First John says, the Father hears us in whatever we ask. And we know we have the requests that we've asked of him. So loved ones, boldly go before God in dependence on Jesus. He's not dealing with an inbox of emails that is backlogged. He doesn't forget to respond sometimes like we can to a text message. He hears all of your prayers in Jesus. Kids, you lose your toy. You can ask God to help you find your toy. A number of years back, we lost our car keys. It went on for a longer than normal period of time. Like we were starting to be concerned. It was Friday morning. The trash was coming that day to be picked up. And my wife said, what if the keys are actually out there on the curb? Well, in the providence of God, inside the trash bin were the car keys 10 minutes before the garbage man came. We can pray about those things. We can pray about a biology test, a visit to the doctor, knowing that your heavenly father will give you good gifts. He won't withhold something from you that's good for you. We're dependent upon God. We are dependent on God when we're in the womb, when we're in the prime of life, and when we're at the very end of life, frail and sometimes not knowing what tomorrow will bring. Maybe you've gone through a period of life where your whole life became upended. Maybe you're going through that right now. Maybe you've helped someone through it. And our life can so quickly change. Health, job, relationships, financial assets. Our confidence for today is not that today will be like yesterday. It is that the Lord is the same yesterday, today, 
and forever. Our lives are much more fragile than we think. Which reminds us, secondly, that we pray that we might be generous and diligent. Give us this day. Us here is plural. It's not individualistic, but it's corporate. So we are praying for one another. Now, in our day and age, we have so much access to news, infobesity, and information that this can quickly become overwhelming. We can know more than any other people at any other time. And we need to remember, only God can handle all the world's problems. When we take in all the problems of the world, we can seem to be crushed by it. But as we have opportunity, in our prayer, give us this day our daily bread, we are asking God, help bring to my mind the needs of others that I can help right now. Not to be overwhelmed by everything that's coming at us. Father, help my compassion for others who are suffering to grow right now as I'm praying for them. Help me not to hoard and just gather for myself. Help me not, let me put it this way. One person says, the single greatest reason for why churches decline is what? An inward focus. Meaning, help me not just to think about me. Not just to gorge on me. We have a responsibility for each other in the church family. Right here. We have a responsibility to live as disciples before the Lord. That we might be generous stewards for God's glory. So this is a prayer that we ask God, help me to have my eyes opened by your spirit to see where I can help others around me in the body of Christ, in our neighborhood. It's a prayer for our body as well. Do you notice that? The Bible is not just thinking about the soul. God made you body and soul. The idea that the body is evil and the soul is good is a wicked idea. That's not scriptural at all. Jesus had a body. Jesus still has a glorified body. And you and I in Christ will have a glorified body forever in the new heavens and new earth. Paul says we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This may sound obvious to us, but we live at a time when our bodies have been stripped of meaning by our culture. As one person writes, the essential me, our culture says, has little to do with biology. So the world is telling you out there, your true self is something you discern, and if the identity you claim is not dealing and comporting with the configuration of your anatomy, you can remake yourself. You can decide who or what you want to be. A disregard for the body. Social media can become a kind of virtual life as a disembodied self where we present a picture to the world of who we are that we really aren't. It can also be a great way to connect and spread and share with others as we've talked about the gospel. God saved you body and soul. Genesis says God 
is talking about your body, not a chosen gender identity. God made man in his image. Male and female, he created them in the image of God. Give us our daily bread means you should enjoy the gifts God gave. Don't feel guilty if you have a really nice meal tonight. Don't feel guilty if you have and enjoy relations with your spouse. It's pagan, demonic teaching that says avoid good food and avoid the gift of intimacy in marriage. That's not Christian. God gave you these things to be enjoyed. God gave you a body to work. Sometimes we can think, well, if I could just get out of my body and then I could do spiritual stuff. But the Reformation talked about how every calling under heaven glorifies God. You fix cars to the glory of God. You change diapers to God's glory. You cook a meal. You deal with tax returns. In whatever work you do, this is a part of God's provision for you in providing daily bread. Jesus worked. He came from heaven to earth as a carpenter. Work is dignified by God. Work was there before the fall. It's good. Work will be there in the new heavens and the new earth. But right now, after the fall, we know this work is frustrating. It can be filled with toil, weariness, bodies break down. Our soul is anguished as we deal with conflict and trials and struggles at work. Some of you perhaps are looking for a different job. Sometimes we're out of work. We're praying that God would provide work, that we would be able to use the skills and gifts God has given to glorify him, and it can be challenging. And we pray, God, provide. Give us this day our daily bread. And third, this prayer teaches us that we might pray that we might be filled with the grace of Jesus. This adjective, daily, means bread enough for today. In the days of many years past, there were no freezers, kids, or refrigerators, so bread would go bad after a day. This is what one person says, the jungle book of daily prayer. Remember the jungle book, children? The bare necessities of life. What are those simple, bare necessities? God's teaching us to pray for moderation. And he's not saying, just be stingy. God's not stingy. God has given us more than bread today, right? Cereal, coffee, chocolate, sausages, and eggs. That's way more than bread. It's a prayer like Proverbs 30 said. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Isn't that an interesting Passage we read in the law of God. Feed me with the food that's needful for today, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? When we read that, that's the essence of pride, saying, I'm good. I have an overabundance. I got it. Who's the Lord? I don't need God. The Proverbs goes on, or lest I be poor 
and steal and profane the name of my God. A prayer that God would provide for today. And that I would be content in what he provides for today. God, help me in this prayer to have my excessive desires restrained. Desires that are contrary to God. And help me to have a greater capacity to enjoy God and what he's given. In a greedy world with hearts that are so prone to greediness, contentment is a compelling testimony. To be satisfied with what God has provided you today does not come naturally. Consumerism. It's telling you, you will be happy if you get this. Lord, I I would be happy if this house was bigger. It's fine to have a bigger house. But I would really be happy if I really had this, and if I lived there, that's what would make me happy. That spot, that's what I need. If my kids would get the scholarship, then I'll be happy. Then I'll have, have contentment. If the grass is always greener on the other side, one thing that is saying is that we don't think God is faithful, good, and generous. Because if we don't have it right now, he's not given it. It doesn't mean he might not give it. We ask, we seek, we knock. Think of this in terms of different seasons of life. I've mentioned this poem before, but it's really profound. It's easy to be discontent with the season of life we're in right now. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall that I wanted. The colorful leaves, the cool, dry air, it's coming soon. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring that I wanted. The warmth, the blooming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted. The freedom the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 that I wanted. The youth, the free spirits. I was retired, but it was middle-aged that I wanted. The presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, and I never got what I wanted. Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Holy Spirit, produce contentment, produce humility in us. Charles Spurgeon said, it's a real test to learn to be a good steward when we have been given an abundance. Isn't that interesting? Why? Because like the proverb says, we can love the abundance more than God. We can spend it poorly, invest it unwisely, work it out in all sorts of wrong directions. Lord, our talents come from you. Our gift of wealth comes from you. The possessions we have come from you. The children come from you. Let us not boast, but let us pray, God, help us be grateful. Every good and perfect gift you have comes from the Father who gave it. Kids, do you have clothes today? Yeah. 
Are you going to have ice cream tonight? Maybe. Do you have a book to read? Yeah. A show you like to watch? Do you have a friend? A spouse? The memory of a spouse? A child? A niece? A nephew? A church family? A neighbor that really serves you and that you love to just talk to? Every gift comes from God's hand. A job that's tough, but God, you provided it? Habakkuk says, even if you don't have those things, even if the vine tree is not giving fruit and the olive fails and the crop is gone and the markets plunge and we lose our health, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Augustine says, He loves you too little, O Lord, who loves anything as well as you, which he does not love for your sake. God, help me not to love my daily bread more than you. Help me to thank you for these gifts, but not to love them more than Jesus. Because, God, you are not stingy. You gave the greatest gift of all, your son, who came from heaven to earth, who became man, who bore the agony of suffering and death in my place on the cross, who has made sin for me. Our daily bread points to eternal spiritual bread in Jesus. This is a gospel prayer. Christ is the bread of life. In the word of God, we have food. We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In Jesus, Christ does for our soul what the bread does for our body. He sustains you. And as we go to the Lord's Supper now, he is feeding you the visible gospel, the bread and the cup, his body broken, his blood shed, which itself is a pointer to the heavenly banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb, when our strongest hunger will be satisfied by Jesus himself. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we go now to the table, feed us with Jesus. Build up our faith and our hope in Christ, the bread from heaven. And we pray, Holy Spirit, open our eyes to believe the gospel that Christ is sufficient, that Christ is our bread, and that we have each other, brothers and sisters in the church, to love and serve as we join together in the Lord's Supper today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.